Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor of DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrello. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 62. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... This is Donovan. This is John. We are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of February 13th through February 26th. We have a little bit of news and really only four comics to cover, but we will be talking a little bit about something new that Joe is launching on the website. So we'll talk about that a little later after BBFB. But first, let's get into news. So the very first thing we have is on February 16th, Comic Book Resources posted up another installment of their Bat Signal segment with an interview with Batman Senior Group Editor Mike Martz. So I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Don will read for Mike Martz. The last cornerstone of the Batman line outside of our two Batman is the supporting cast of sidekicks and allies who star in their own books. We spoke about Batgirl having a role in bigger stories, but we've also got a crossover in April between Gotham City Sirens, Batman, and Red Robin. How did that event come to be, and what does it pretend for that piece of the line? This story arc within the titles is something that came out of a New York Comic Con meeting back in October, and ideas that have been kicking between Fabian and David Hine. We then brought Peter Calloway into the mix on Gotham City Sirens, and the story is essentially a judgment on Gotham. We're pulling in story elements from Gotham City Sirens, from the Azrael title, and from Dick Grayson's past, and there's lots of things coming together. It's a real exciting mix of characters to play with. Streets of Gotham is about to wrap the House of Hush story and its run. How did the one factor affect the other? We conclude the series with issue 20 where the series comes to a close as well as the whole story between Bruce Wayne and Tommy Elliot comes to an exciting climax. That story has been going for several years now. When Paul and Dustin first did Heart of Hush in Detective, we knew that Bruce was going to be going away for a while, but we also knew he was coming back. So we planned out a long-term story that involved Tommy Elliot taking over the role of Bruce Wayne, knowing that this sequel story was in the offing. We know... Batwoman has taken a while to come together, as did Dark Knight before it, but it feels like you guys have been looking to manage the line in a way that defers the creators finishing their work more so than pumping out monthly product on every single title, if that makes sense. Our main focus is to give the readers the best we can give them, and that's what we're doing right now on Dark Knight. We're taking steps over the next weeks and months to improve the schedule, but our main focus is to deliver the best possible product we can. Looking forward, two elements that seem to be central to the entire line are this notion Scott Snyder's been playing within Detective, that Gotham is changing in some way to be an even more nightmarish place. Along with Grant's continued tease of this thing called Leviathan, can we expect those threads to pull together as 2011 goes along? Yes. (laughs) That is the answer to all of that. There's definitely going to be the mixing of storylines moving forward. We'll see echoes of what Grant's been doing in Batman Incorporated with Leviathan and other books, and the way Scott and the other writers have established Gotham City as almost a character itself will reveal a lot of cross-storytelling in other titles as well. Things Scott is doing in Detective will show up in Gates of Gotham, and we'll see even more of that later on in 2011 with other things Scott's doing. 
All right, so that's the end of that interview. Here's what I have to say. I find it interesting that somehow they've turned Streets of Gotham into... Well, this was only supposed to be a story about Tommy Elliott while Bruce Wayne was gone. Yeah. We're, we're wrapping that story up. For some reason, I don't think that was the intent when the the series got started because that was never anybody's reasoning for the series when it got started. A lot of people were under the assumption it was going to be a new Gotham Central type book, including us. So I just think it's like a cheesy way and an easy way out for them to say this now. Yeah, it, it's it's totally just PR stunt. It's It definitely was meant to be. Because first of all, there were so many issues that weren't dedicated to Tommy Elliott in the beginning of his run. It's like just recently, within the past six or so issues, it's got it's got more focus. We just have other stuff that's not been focusing directly on Tommy Elliott. He's been a player all the time, but it's not been a hushed book. Just because Baldini and Dustin went up and on it. So I find it kind of funny as well that they've just turned it on. Oh, well, it was always meant to be a hushed sequel. But eh, it's just, you know, how they handle things, I suppose. And the other element that I kind of have a problem with is, you know, they ask him essentially about the delays, and then his uh, remark to that is nothing specific about anything, just we're just trying to pump out uh, the best that we can for our readers. That, that's all we're trying to do. <laughs> well, I suppose, I mean, he could, he could have been more glib with it, I, see, I guess. I mean, that's, I, th- I think, well, that's a, that's a rather tertiary excuse. It, it could have been worse, I suppose. Yeah, at least... He's, they've said they're trying to address it and uh, trying to get the scheduling better. But I agree, it's a bit of... Well, I mean, whilst we want to read good stuff, we still want it out so, so that we can read it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just seems a little ridiculous to have something that maybe would last 12 issues and just have it drawn out, you know, for two years because of all these conflicts. I mean, I'm sure David Finch knew he was going to be doing this book since he signed with DC back in February 2010 when it was announced because he said in interviews that when he talked about becoming an exclusive artist to DC, he had an idea for a Batman book and pitched it and they said, yeah, okay, you want to do that? That's fine. So for the first 11 months that he was at DC, he didn't do anything but a cover here and there. He did varying covers for Brightest Day so he was working on it all that time, clearly, and yet we've only gotten one issue since it started in December, and here we are two months later. It's just been, with all these delays and everything, it's just been a mess, and I don't think we'll know really the whole story until, like, maybe a couple of years down the line when all this, like, this Grant Morrison era of Batman is over with, because I don't really remember too clearly before the whole, he started on Batman, that there have been several delays. I mean, there probably were with, with um... War games and stuff, but I just don't remember as clearly as I do now. So this is probably something that we won't get to the bottom to until a lot of this is all over with. I think the only excuse David Finch could possibly have is when he kept going on about how his series was supposed to sort of uh, have elements of the supernatural in and things like that, and he was told that he had to wait to maybe make that the second art. So unless he's been told to put that off and then he's ha- having to write now this other arc to put in first. I think it's the only way we could, like, uh, you know, have an excuse for all these delays. Alright, so with that, let's get into our next bit. The weekend of February 20th, Joe, co-host on this podcast, obviously, was able to go to a signing at a comic shop in England and had a chance to talk with Paul Cornell. So this time, Joe will read the questions that he asked and I will read for Paul Cornell. 
Will you be writing any more Night in the Sky after the miniseries is over? No, because sales weren't that great, but I had a lot of requests from other writers to use my characters. Maybe we'll get to see the Milkman in Batman the Dark Knight. <laughs> in that case, will we see Night in the Sky in Batman Inc.? I'm not sure, but probably. I think that's the idea. So in addition to that, well, Joe, you just tell us about how, how it all went down. Yeah, it turned out there wasn't a very big crowd, which I was quite surprised about. But he was a really nice guy. We spoke for about five minutes, but uh, there were all the questions I could ask him. I also found out Night and Squire is being collected in a hardcover, so that would be good. I might get more recognition then. Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, Night and Squire, we've thought it w- it's been a pretty good series for the most part. There's been one or two issues that weren't so great, but especially after the last issue, it's definitely rounded out to be a, a decent run on the series. And like I've said before, I, I enjoy these characters, and I'd love to see these characters in other series. I thought it was interesting when they were first really brought into the Batman universe during Grant Morrison's run with Batman Robin, and they've appeared at various other times. But I, I think these characters are a nice counterpart to what Batman and Robin are because they're so incredibly different, almost the exact opposite of what they are. I think they're more of a callback to like the Silver Age Batman and Robin where a lot of the stuff was a lot more goofy. And I think it's a shame that he says that the sales haven't been great on the, on the miniseries. On the one hand, I think it's a shame that there are signs that there's not going to be a, a Night and Squire ongoing because it's been a really, really fun uh, miniseries. On the other hand, I am kind of glad that uh, they aren't putting out another Bat book because they put out way too much of the past. But I really enjoy these characters, and I've really enjoyed this miniseries, so I hope we do see them again, and, and uh, Paul Cornell definitely writes them. Yeah, this series has definitely just been fun, but uh, I don't think I could handle it as an ongoing, because it would be way too much. <laughs> Alright, so the next bit of news we have comes from February 21st. Newsrama had a chance to talk with the writers of the upcoming miniseries Gates of Gotham. Scott Snyder and Kyle Higgins shared some of the information of what we can expect to see in the miniseries, so I will read from Newsarama. Don will read for Kyle Higgins, and Joe will read for Scott Snyder. Scott and Kyle, we hear people say so often that Gotham is a character in Batman's stories. What do you think that means, and is that what you're exploring in this story? I think when people refer to Gotham as a character, what they're reacting to is the mood it creates, the shadow that the city casts. In our story, we're really exploring the makeup of the city, and trying to take that concept of Gotham as a character to another level. Kyle and I have talked a tremendous amount about the idea of Gotham as a character, and it's definitely the central theme of what I'm trying to do in Detective. I'm exploring the idea that Gotham changes with the face of whoever is under the cow. It changes to be a twisted funhouse mirror for anyone who's trying to do good in Gotham, and it changes in these ferocious and potent ways. So that's part of this story as well. So this is rich with history? Definitely. But there's a lot more to it. It's history, and it's also architecture. We look at the building of Gotham and some of the stories that are really woven into the stones and the buildings themselves, into the landscape of Gotham. In our story, we go back to the early days of the city and the building of modern city as we know it now. The plot surrounds a mystery that happened back then, and it's one of Gotham's great secrets. A lot of the buildings we see now, there's a story behind them and why they are the way they are, and why the buildings are in specific places. We'll also be exploring the history of some of Gotham's famous families. We're interested in how those families and those figures that we know in present Gotham stretch back all the way. Is that first supervillain who we see on the cover in the top hat? 
I think that's probably a fair guess. The thing about this story that I really latched onto was the creating of the modern city as we know it. And obviously, the modern Gotham as we know it has supervillains. So I was very fascinated with the genesis of that idea. At what point did that aspect come into Gotham? So our mystery from the past deals with the idea that there's a reason this villain comes to be. And that has much to do with the city's history as it does its motivations. Where did the idea from the story come from? The gist of the story came about from some of the material that we'll be dealing with a little bit in Detective this year, and hopefully in stories coming up that have to do with the history of Gotham, and the idea that Gotham has the ability to have the past really echo through the present. And there's a city beneath the city. We all, we all know that's been there, and you can't escape the past of Gotham. Alright, so that's the end of that interview. i got to say... I'm actually extremely interested in, in what this series is going to accomplish, mostly because we know bits and pieces about Gotham City's history and how Gotham City came to be, and a little bit of history from the Waynes. But I think this is really going to dive into a lot more of what we haven't know, what we don't know, and what we really need to know to really make Gotham City more fundamental in the history of the DC Universe. Yeah, do. It sounds like they really have a really cool idea for how they're updating sort of Gotham's history. And I like the fact that they are they're, they said a lot the phrase modern city. So it's not just, you know, a backstory. It's sort of like everything's been changing with Batman and his characters and now the city's changing. I find that very interesting as well too. Yeah, Scott Snyder definitely seems to be interested in Gotham City. I think that's really interesting and I like that DC has sort of given him control over how he writes it and what he wants to do with it. I think it's interesting. All right, so moving into our last bit of news. On February 23rd, Newsrama posted up an interview with Detective Comics writer Scott Snyder. He not only explains how the co-feature will wrap up in a way, but also what we can expect to see from the next story arc. So I will read for Newsrama, and Don will read for Scott Snyder. Scott, let's start with this week's Detective Comics number 874 with Francisco Francavilla on art. Is that going to continue the former co-feature you two were doing about Jim Gordon? Exactly, yeah. I feel like people were worried that Francisco wouldn't get to finish the story, or that the story was only going to be three backups. But we're going to finish it. It'll be the front part of 874, which is a full issue by Francisco. And he's also doing 875. So Jock is taking a rest for two issues, and then he's back for 876, 877, and 878. To be totally honest, I had already been thinking about, instead of having a backup for all 12 issues, maybe moving the backup into the feature by having interspersed issues where it would be three or four issues by Jock, then one from Francesco, which is what we'll be doing now. So it was something that we were leaning toward as a team almost anyway. All of us really talk the entire story all the time, so it's not like Jock goes away for two issues and I don't hear from him for two months. I was just talking to him today about Francesco's issues this morning because we're all a team. So we're all on the same page about making this one big story happen. It's not like pieces scattered and we're trying to sort them fit back in or something. It's really just A73 where the backup got moved because the pricing changed. Otherwise, our plan really hasn't changed very much. After the two issues Francisco's drawing, then you're going to start what was originally solicited as next month's issue, The Hungry City. Will that continue some of the threads you've had in the comics so far? Definitely. My favorite stories are really the long-form stories everything from Long Halloween and Hush, and everything that ran through Gotham Central, and the way the stories are an accumulation. So it really is. I can't stress enough. 
The first story arc was really about introducing Dick to Gotham as it's reforming itself in his image. We met the dealer, and Bruce would have handled him very differently than Dick. It's not the dealer that frightens Dick. It's the menace of the people around him in the city from that arc. That's what I wanted to show. Not that the dealer is evil, but the level of malevolence that comes with being part of Gotham sometimes, from the Gotham citizens. Just the idea that they're capable of bidding on a crowbar. So that idea is what the dealer is presenting to Dick. Bruce would handle that differently. It's not a nightmare to Bruce to know that. Dick believes in people. That's his whole character. Based on his faith in the human character. That's what I was trying to do with that arc. And in Hungry City? Hungry City is really about the way the city is reshaping itself in a broader way. The abstract idea that it's making criminals that match Dick's personality. So in the more concrete sense, with the vacuum created with the fall of the Falcones, most of the family and the Maronis and the Black Mask, there's new faces on the streets for organized crime. New young faces. These aren't the godfather types. These are the guys that are hungry, that are coming up, and aren't afraid of Batman. They're not afraid of people. they got flashy personalities. They're going to be real fun characters. So everyone from this new guy, Tiger Shark, who's essentially a revamp of the character from a long time ago, with which he barely has anything in common anymore. He's a high-class, flashy, really, really vicious pirate that exists on waters right off the coast of Gotham and works to smuggle things into the city. There's a new breed of organized criminals in Gotham that you haven't really seen in a while. So that's really what the Hungry City arc is about. It'll also continue the James Jr. story in the background, where Jim Gordon comes to Dick and starts to tell him his worries about James in some ways. So what the arc is really about is Grayson trying to judge, trying to get a grip on whether or not to have faith in or believe in people. Are you introducing any other new characters in this arc? We also introduce one of the big stars of that arc, the daughter of Tony Zuko, the man who killed Dick's parents, who you meet in the beginning of 876. She's, she's essentially trying to establish herself as a legitimate business person in Gotham and kind of haunted by the mantle of her father. But she started a bank that's doing very well, and she is trying to escape the legacy of what came before her. All right, so that's the end of that interview. That is a lot of, a lot of information to comprehend for the moment. Obviously, we'll be reviewing 874, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. I'm kind of interested in this Tiger Shark character specifically because it just sounds like a really interesting person. A high-class, flashy, vicious pirate that exists on the waters right off the coast of Gotham. To me, that just sounds really, really interesting. And on top of that, bringing in the daughter of Tony Zuko, that's like a a recipe for disaster on a sitcom, but in the (laughs) comics, it's going to be quite interesting, especially since Dick knows that Tony Zuko was the person who killed his parents. Yeah, I gotta say, all all that information he gave us sounds like he totally has a plan for the book. He knows what he wants to do, and he knows he's really interested to work with these characters. He, he sounds like he loves Dick Grayson, and just to go into the history of these characters and, and work towards a really juicy story, it's got me excited. It's, it's kept me excited. I mean, the stories have been great so far, and just to hear his enthusiasm, I, I'm, I'm so hyped for this thing. Yeah, I was excited about the Tiger Shark character because it's someone not making up a new villain. It's, um, I mean, although it's a sort of reimagination because he said it doesn't have anything ready to do with the original character but at least it's still someone from the Batman universe and it's not just another person to throw into the pile of forgotten villains so yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that alright so that is the end of our news We do, like I said we've got four comics to cover so let's jump right into our reviews with the very first one which is Batman number 707 
You seem to have a ding in your door, sir. He trashed my car, Alfred. Between a couple of guys, that's real personal. Batman issue 707. Written, penciled, and covered by Tony S. Daniel, as well as the inks. Colored by Ian Hammond. With the sensei heading to the archives of the Library of Gotham to find the Mask of the Beholder. And then we cut right into Dick Grayson, Batman himself, as he, Lucius and Tam Fox, and Lukey Lowe are in a watery death trap. Dick, being the escape artist that he's been trained to be, escapes rather easily and saves uh, the other three from being drowned. They're set upon by some goons, but with the help of um, I Ching, uh, they make quick work of them. They demand to find the sensei, and they ask Luki where he is, in which they find him at the, the Library of Gotham. The sensei finds the master of the Beholder behind a statue of who apparently was the, the library's biggest financer, uh, Thomas Wayne. He finds the mask and is uh, immediately attacked by the peacock who had been posing as one of his henchmen. But with the mask of the Beholder on, the sensei becomes very, very powerful and starts to suck the life out of people. He sucks the life out of peacock, but Batman arrives just in time and takes him on in battle. The pe- peacock and both Batman tell him that the mask of the Beholder isn't destined for the sensei, it's destined for Luki Lowe. So it starts, to, it starts to react harshly towards the sensei and zooms towards Luki Lowe's hands. Uh, the Peacock and Lukilo then destroy the mask, which Sensei is completely vulnerable from. Batman tries to take him on and crash. they both crash through a window, but the Sensei actually disappears before they, let, they hit the ground. With the day being saved, Peacock and Lukilo uh, leave via airplane from Gotham, and Dick says that although she didn't say goodbye, he knows it's not a goodbye because Lukilo gave him a little bit of a vision which shows Dick Grayson and Peacock kissing, which is interesting. But before the issue ends, we see the Riddler and his daughter Enigma receive um, a payment in gold bars by a very flipping a scarred coin. It says she has a real teeny weeny job for him that will be a cakewalk. And that will be continued in the story called Judgment of Gotham City. All right, so Batman number 707. I thought this was an interesting ending. Uh, it it kind of, to me in some regards, was kind of a letdown from all the action that was happening in all the previous issues, specifically because there, it just didn't really seem like there was as much action that was occurring in this issue. On top of that, there was a couple little plot elements that I had a big problem with. When Batman shows up at the library, he, he just randomly appears out of nowhere. That was kind of odd. He's <laughs> uh, Batman. He does that. <laughs> well, I get that. I get that Batman just you know appears out of nowhere, but it just seemed a little odd. Where one second he he's completely across town having Loki find the Sensei, and then next thing you know, since we see the Sensei, he finds the mask, and two seconds later, Batman's there. That that was just a little too quick for normality. That's all I have to say. Yes. Um, the the end of the issue leaves a little bit of interesting. Uh, Crumbs for the next issue. Who's the the female with two faces coin? Um, what what job does she possibly have for the Riddler? And why does the Riddler feel the crazy necessity to work with this person? It's kind of explained with the fact that he wants his file, but I, I'm I'm interested in seeing more. Uh, I have this real strange feeling that the the element of the Riddler is not really needed. And it's just kind of happening because it needs it, because Tony Daniel really enjoys writing the Riddler and drawing the Riddler. I am interested to see where that little crumb at the end of the issue goes. But I, I think this issue was a little bit of a letdown compared to some of the previous issues. 
as far as the art, the art was not any worse than the, the other issues, like I could have assumed, because time has passed, and Tony Daniels' art does seem to appear a little bit rushed as time progresses. But it didn't happen, mostly because I think, you know, he's going to have next month off, so that's probably why that happened. So overall, I'm going to give this 3 out of 5 batterings. Yeah, this was okay. I think that there were, like you said, there actually were a lot of really strange cuts because I believe in the last issue, it just had Batman confronting the Sensei, or at least being set upon the Sensei, and then it cut straight to him being dumped in water uh, with his arms and legs tied with uh, Lucius, Tamara, and Luki Lowe. And I was like, wow, I don't, that's that's really strange. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was okay enough. I thought the art was very good, as always. Um, you're right, Tony Daniel hasn't, he hasn't lacked and in, in the art department in this story arc. And the ending has has me very intrigued for the next issue. Overall, this is a it was a decent issue. It was it was okay from as a conclusion to the I Ching Sensei storyline. So I'll I'll I will too give it three out of five batterings. Yeah, I'm interested by this Riddler storyline going on, but in this issue it did feel a bit like an afterthought, I thought. Because uh we had Sensei for the whole thing and Whereas in the previous issues, we had them all sort of interchanging and interwoven stories. This one, it was very much, okay, the first 90% of the book is uh, Sensai, and then the last, you know, couple of pages is Riddler. But it still interests me, and I'm still um, looking to see what happens with that. Yeah, the art was pretty good. I thought maybe a couple of panels which were a little bit rushed, but overall it was still really good up to his normal standards. And, uh, well, I enjoyed the issue, and like Dustin said, it was a bit of a letdown. And I thought that um, there was a lot of build-up, and then a lot of stuff happened very quickly once they got to the library. But I'll give it three out of five batterings. Tony Daniels' return to Batman is improving. There's still a lot of crowded stuff there going on that I don't really care about. But um, I like the stuff going on with Sensei coming back. And the escape at the beginning... That felt like Batman to me, and the art's getting better. Could really care less about the Riddler and Enigma stuff, and with everything else that's going on in the book, like, you know, Mask of Beholder and everything, it's just too much. But, uh, yay for them tying it into the other books, like, you know, stuff like bringing in Tam Fox, but otherwise, this still has a long way to go, but the art's getting better, and I think Tony Daniel's starting to find his group. I'm gonna give this issue three out of five batterings. And over on the website, Riddle Me This gave the book three and a half out of five batterings. So that is going to give Batman number 707 three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, which is Superman Batman number 81. Her name is Kara Zarel from Krypton. She's my cousin. Your cousin just torched $50,000 worth of custom hardware. Send me the bill. On a reporter's salary. Right. Okay, Superman Batman issue 81. This is part one of the Sorcerer Kings arc, written by Cullen Bunn, with art by Criss Cross. The issue opens up just outside of Metropolis at Kilgore Abattoir, where we're introduced to a group of superheroes called Shadow Pact, on their way to investigate another magical disturbance. The group turn a corner and come across a massive battle between a warrior and dozens of demons. Shadow Pact join the fight, and it rages on for some time until the warrior is killed by the demons who are then forced back through a portal by the team. The defeated warrior is then revealed to be Superman. We then cut to a very church-like Batcave, where what looks like a vampire prostitute is telling a very odd-looking Batman that 
Clark went through the portal, but was defeated by the demons. We cut now to another Superman, who is meeting a man who takes him to the Oblivion Bar to see the Superman who was defeated earlier on in the issue. All the while, Superman re- reminds the reader of his weakness against magic. Shadow Pact are also at the bar, and they express their fears of impending doom before the magical Batman and Nina turn up. And uh, they want to help Superman, but to do so, they have to take out the Shadow Pact, and they kidnap him. Back in Gotham City, Commissioner Gordon has called for Batman, and the real one turns up. He's introduced to Detective Chimp, who explains that Superman has been captured, and that it looks like Batman is the culprit. We cut back to the magical Batman, who releases a spell on Superman, who believes he's on an alternate world, before Batman says, This isn't some parallel world. This is your reality, your future. And we see an alien-infested cityscape of Metropolis. Alright, Superman Batman number 81. I thought this was a little bit interesting. Specifically, the ending made it really bearable, as if I thought it was the entire time an alternate universe. It kind of threw a little wrench in the, the story at the end when he said, no, this is actually the future. This is not an alternate world. This is your future. It's interesting to see, although at the same time when we see Superman look at the dead Superman's body, that happens way too many times. I don't know how many times we have to see situations where a superhero sees themselves dead whether it be an alternate version, a future version, whatever. It just seems a little redundant. For the most part, I thought having Shadow Pact involved in this story, a lot of people don't know who Shadow Pact is or are. I'm familiar with them because Ragman is part of Shadow Pact, and I've collected the Ragman issues specifically because of his ties with Gotham City. So I know a little bit about Shadow Pact. I'm not a huge fan of the magical element. I'm not a big fan of... You know, a lot of the stuff that is not within the Batman universe. But in small doses, it works. And I think this was interesting because not only does it involve a bunch of magical characters, but it also shows that in the future, Batman could be using magical powers because of some situation that occurs in present time. Or at least that's what I'm assuming. The art overall was okay. I thought the aliens seemed a little bit generic. It didn't really seem like there was a lot of detail, in my opinion. In the early battle... There was a lot of things going on, and I didn't always know what was going on. There was thought bubbles that seemed as if they should have been on other panels. But, again, you know, that's kind of nitpicking. But, overall, it was a decent issue. I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings. Um, I don't really care for this issue too much. Mainly because it was very, very magical and a lot of time travel and everything. And um, I'm not immediately adverse to that, but at the same time, that does it's hard to... For me to get the story for what it was, as well as the art, didn't get me hyped up enough for the story, if that makes any sense. I did like the design of this uh, future Batman. I thought it was very inventive. And I really like Detective Champ. <laughs> I, I think he's a pretty funny character, and I thought I thought it was cool to see him and Batman kind of uh, uh, jabber back and forth. This wasn't a bad issue. I, I just personally wasn't very invested into it. So I'm going to give this two and a half out of five batterings. Overall, I enjoyed the issue after some initial confusion but uh i'm a bit wide for for me i think this has the air of being dragged out a bit too long like it's gonna go on for more than it needs to but uh the art was pretty good in most parts i didn't like the fighting scenes because all the characters seem to blend into one 
and uh, I, yeah, I'd never heard of Shadow Pact, and so I didn't know who. I think his name is Blue Devil, but uh, all the way through, I thought I was reading a Blue Hellboy, which put me off a bit. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll give it two and a half out of five batterings. Superman Batman 81. This book, I always have low expectations going in, but uh, this was, you know, a kind of nice uh, departure from, well, I say departure, but it, it was something a little different. I don't usually like the magical elements. I'm not one of those Batman and Superman have to be ultra realistic people, but the magic stuff usually bores me. But I like um, them doing... I, I liked this issue and tying in stuff like the Phantom Stranger, and it felt more like a DCU story as a whole than just a Superman-Batman team-up. So in that sense, I like that, because time travel seems a little redundant, especially when we just finished uh, Return of Bruce Wayne. But it, this was a different enough thing, and it had more of a fun sense, so I can dig it. Uh, but this book still, you know, needs to do a lot of improving. I'm going to give it three out of five batterings. And over on the website, Dark Knight Dave gave it three out of five batterings, so that is going to give the book three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, which is Gotham City Sirens, and Josh will join us for that book. Somehow I don't feel like my old perky self. Something's missing. Will you stop? I can't believe you're still mooning over that psychotic creep. Well, maybe I'd feel better if I knew he missed me, too. Gotham City Sirens, and yes, we are continuing from last issue's cliffhanger of Harley Quinn on her mission to kill the Joker. The first step in her mission takes the entire issue as Harley Quinn goes to break into Arkham Asylum. Luckily, because of her past as an in-house psychiatrist there, she knows uh, the weaknesses of some of the people, like a security guard who is fascinated by marbles, another Arkham employee who, who has a thing for flowers. Aaron Cash is not about to let this whole thing slide, so he goes to confront Harley himself as he sees her getting deeper and deeper past their defenses, and they come face to face. But Harley's internal monologue reveals that she knows a thing or two, about how to defeat Cash as well. Alright, Gotham City Sirens number 20. I thought this was an interesting story. A lot of times when we see Harley Quinn, she plays a very minor comical role um, where she doesn't have a whole lot going on with herself. This story kind of fleshed out a lot of the character from before she was Harley Quinn. It gave us a little bit of an insight about how she is and who she is now, which... Quite honestly, we really haven't seen since her first incarnations as the character and some of the earlier stories with her and Poison Ivy. I thought the the story was very well written. Normally I'm not a big fan of this art style of Andre Scanaldo and, of course, Ramon Box, but I think for the most part this was okay. Um... There, there was there was plenty of detail. It wasn't just standard empty backgrounds. For, there was actual things that we saw. Big cowering Arkham Asylum in the beginning. There was a lot of really interesting elements. I really enjoyed the parts where Harley Quinn had a bunch of random things, and she knew exactly how to basically mess the minds of different people because of her working with them with the guard and the marbles and Alice Sinner and the fake flower type thing they were all perfectly planned and it really gives a whole new element to Harley Quinn and makes her 
makes you believe that she's worth a little bit more than just a sidekick of the Joker or a sidekick for Poison Ivy and Catwoman. I thought this was a great issue. Four out of five batterings. Oh, I'm completely on the opposite. I thought this was a complete waste of time. Really, because the last issue promised Harley is going to get the Joker. And we spend the entire time... This is, this is like one of the most padded comic books I've read in recent memory because it's just Harley breaking into Arkham Asylum. And uh, we get really pointless stories about these characters that she knows but we've never known. One is killed off and one is knocked unconscious. So we know these characters for what is presented to us as, as legitimately no reason because we don't care about them. We care about her going against the Joker. I thought this whole... Harley, you know, beneath all the humor and the uh, the lightheartedness, this, this rage thing. I thought that was completely forced. I mean, I'm not saying that she can't feel uh, angry emotions or anything, but it just felt like they really wanted us to ha- they really wanted us to have this this feel of vengeance that she wanted, but it didn't feel earned because she wasn't doing anything besides breaking into Arkham Asylum. I mean, how many times has people broken into? anything in in a Batman comic book. I I didn't find it very interesting. I don't understand this whole half-face with the Joker thing. I thought it was pretty creepy in the last issue, but they kept doing it like she's Spider-Man or something, and I didn't understand it because there was no sense of um, correlation towards anything else when she was doing it. It just felt like whenever she would do something like blow up a door or whatever, there was that face, and I didn't get it. I didn't get this issue at all, really, and... um, I was actually excited for this one, but it, I thought it was a real big letdown. So I'm going to give this one out of five better ranks. I agree with Dustin. Oh. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, thought it was really interesting looking at Harley Quinn's character based on her uh, psychiatrist elements when, from her past. Um, really padding out the character and it, um, it really made her seem legitimate. And uh, I thought the art in the issue was fine, but I really liked the double page spreads. And uh, I know they were they were just there for padding and to they kind of slowed down the issue because they didn't have anything to do with it. But uh, I thought they looked really good, even though I got a little lost when trying to read them. And uh, I liked Harley's complete lack of morality when, like, when she said she really liked the guard at the front, but she just blows him up anyway. And. Uh, even though I know Harley won't end up killing the Joker and there were problems with this story, I think I'm going to give it 4 out of 5 batterings. If you notice that my uh, summary for that issue was really short, it's because this thing was pa- more padded than an Arkham cell. Oh my gosh, all it is is Harley breaking in the Arkham and knocking out two guards. This could have been done in one page, maybe two pages. I like that we get some background to Harley Quinn and her past at Arkham, and we see that she is actually smart about some things, but it was just too padded. The art was nice, but once again, Gotham City Sirens has fallen off the rails, which is why I am giving this issue two out of five batterings. All right, so that is going to give Gotham City Sirens number 20 three out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, which is Detective Comics. Number 874, written by Scott Snyder and, and penciled by Francesco Francavilla. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move up. We 
start off with the story where we last saw in the last cool feature in number 872 with James Gordon talking to James Gordon Jr. at the diner. Basically, they exchange a lot of words. We find out that there's a lot of doubt in Jim Gordon's mind about his son and what his son is capable of. Um, he sees something on his shirt and his, and his son says, uh, well, it's blood. I, uh, I killed a waitress while you were talking to Barbara, and I stuffed her head in the toilet of the men's room. Um, then he says, no, it's actually just ketchup. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to joke. I'm just not very good. Just please give me two minutes to talk to you. So then we find out over a extensive speech that uh, essentially, yes, James is a has has had a lot of problems in the past. He's tortured people. But he says that he's never actually killed anyone. He was traveling around after he left Gotham City the last time, and he found out that he essentially is a psychopath and was diagnosed by a doctor in, in Houston, Texas, and gave, got him on a drug trial. He started taking these drugs, and he feels a lot better. And essentially what he's come to do, he's come back to Gotham because he wants to help people like himself. So he is asking his father not to get in the way of him possibly having an interview with Leslie Tompkins for him to get a job. And he's also asking his father to insist that Dick Grayson also does not get involved with him. After that, James Gordon Jr. leaves, and during this entire speech, Jim Gordon looks at uh, the bathroom and sees that the water is overflowing and is, is thinking to himself what could his son has possibly have done. And he goes into the bathroom, and it turns out it's just the sink's overflowing. It has nothing at all to do with uh, a waitress's head in the toilet. Uh, we then cut to Red Robin talking to himself and talking to Dick Grayson about how the gas is probably still in his system from his fight with the dealer. Then we see Red Robin and Batman looking at a ship who has another than a harpy eagle that was let loose from the Avery that... Jim Gordon Jr. actually freed a couple of issues back, and they are poaching these animals. Uh, after Batman and Red Robin jump onto the ship, they make quick use of the thugs, but not before a little bit of the gas kicks into Dick Grayson's system, and he thinks that something's trying to attack him. He falls into the water and imagines himself seeing a giant shark slash killer whale trying to attack him. Uh, Red Robin pulls him out of the water after all the thugs are knocked out, and he says to Tim, I'm fine. Tim says in return, well, you need to see what's down here. Uh, they go down into the ship, and it turns out there's a ton of endangered animals all throughout in cages of in, inside the ship, including a, a tarantula and some lizards of such. Uh, we then, the issue ends with uh, Jim Gordon standing over a number of missing posters, along with news articles, along with um, unsolved cases from the Gotham City Police Department, and a bottle of scotch, and the words, next issue, James Jr. revealed. And that's the end of issue 874. Alright, Detective Comics number 874. This was, this was really good. I have to start off with saying the art style is not something I would ever really want to see 100% all the time, but this, the way this art works with the story that's being told about how creepy James Jr. is just works perfectly. It is amazing how, even though I know very little about the history of James Jr., other than 
some of the past stories, it really seems like he's trying to expand on it, but expand on something that what happened in the past, but we don't know about it. And he just comes across as one creepy guy, and the art helps with that so immensely. In addition to that, I am interested to know how exactly this story would have played out if it was still a co-feature in the back, just because Scott Snyder was flowing the co-feature so perfectly into the story. I am interested to know what they changed or what they kept the same, or how they adapted it to make it what it had to be because of the elimination of the co-feature. Again, that has nothing to do with the rating that I'm going to give it, but just in general. Also, based on the interview that we read earlier with Scott Snyder um, talking about the new character coming up, um, I'm assuming that the Tiger Shark character, the pirate, has something to do with these animals being poached inside of Gotham City. That would be my assumption. I don't know if that whale creature type thing had anything to do with something or if it was just something that Dick was visualizing. But after reading that interview and reading this issue, it made me really think about the last couple pages of the issue. Really double double take on what was happening. I am interested to know what's going to end up happening with James Jr. I love to see this this character expanded even more because he's a creepy guy, and I mean he's he's got some of the some of the most heroic people in Gotham City scared stiff of what he's poss- what he's capable of. So overall, I'm going to give this issue four out of five batterings. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> this is <laughs> this was really good. This was really ah oh, jeez. This James Jr. storyline is so well told, and much of that has to do with Francesco's art, with like like the very sharp primary colors and how it contrasts like the dark lighting on Jim Gordon and everything. But not only that, but like his facial expressions are extremely they, they lack so much emotion that you can't tell if he's just being genuine and wants to have another chance or if he's seriously a complete lunatic and it, and it balances that line so well this is very very good artwork what i do like about this issue is that i kind of thought that the whole dealer storyline was over with but dick is still dealing with the effects of the of the gas he was put under so that's actually playing into a this storyline, and it goes back to what Snyder said about having, how he liked how issues would have this long arc, and I really like that. It's a real nice sense of continuity. There's nothing really wrong with this issue. I'm not going to give it a perfect score because, I don't know, it wasn't as good as it has been, but I really enjoyed it, and I'm really, really loving to see where this James Jr. thing's going. So I'm giving this four and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, I like his art, but I thought the real, uh, the best part about it was the coloring and the way, like, um, James Gordon was always in these, like, the contrasting colours, which really sort of offset it and made it look quite horrific. And then how James was always in sort of deep red lights and uh, with his, but his glasses were still really pale, like a cold stare. And then Commissioner Gordon was always just in these sort of washed out, dull colours, as if he was, like, really terrified of his own son. I thought that was really good. And the... Um, just that di- whole diner scene where you can see in the background the water just slowly creeping out and it's really, it really builds the tension and then when he goes in there and you realise that his son is really just messing with him and trying to freak his dad out, I think that's really interesting. And um, the way they've just sort of brought James into uh, the continuity with... Like, I'm really interested to know why Dick Grayson doesn't like him and what that problem is there from their childhood and how they knew each other. 
so I'm looking forward to that. But part of me, although I'm really interested to know all I can about this character, part of me thinks that if we don't know that, he's going to remain this really creepy guy, and that's going to be more interesting. Yeah, I also really like the, um, the reference to the gas again, bringing it back into that overarching story. I thought that was really good. And uh, the only issue I have, and it might have just been me, but when James was talking to his dad in the diner, he, he used so many rhetorical questions that I got a bit bored of it. But uh, other than that, I thought it was good. I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. This is the best issue of Detective that I've seen in a long time, including some of the J.H. Williams and Greg Rucka Batwoman stuff. The conversation between uh, Jim and Jim Jr. was very, very chilling, uh, with the backdrop of the water coming out of the bathroom, and you're wondering if Jim, you know, really did uh, kill a waitress in there or not, and the tension's building right up until the last page where you're waiting along with Gordon for Jim Jr. to leave so you can go into the bathroom and see if this is a gag or not. Like I said, the whole thing was chilling. The art added a lot to the mood and helped convey the story. I could see this playing out on a TV drama. Very good stuff. I'm going to give this four out of five batterings. One thing real quick that uh, I think was worth mentioning is um, uh, we talked about how much his, how much background this character has. And to my knowledge, James Jr. has only been in Batman Year One and uh, Long Halloween and Dark Victory. But he mentioned either him or Jim mentioned a fall, and I'm wondering if that fall is reference to the fourth issue of uh, Batman Year One, where James Gordon Jr. as a baby fell and Batman caught him. And I'm wondering if that because they they mentioned a fall that nothing's been right ever since a fall, and I'm wondering if that's the one they're referencing to because otherwise I can't think of any other time the character has appeared in anywhere. So I think that'll be interesting. So overall, Detective Comics number 874, four and a half out of five batterings. That is all of our comic reviews. Let's throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick, and today I'm looking at a book called Batman Bride of the Demon. This was published in 1990 as a one-off story, written by Mike Barr. Uh, Mike Barr unfortunately got has had a poor review on BBFB in the past with uh, Batman Year Two. And the art's been provided by Tom Grindberg, who also did the art for Catwoman Deviant, which I've also reviewed on BBFB. Now this is the final book that I'll be looking at in the Demon Trilogy. Uh, we've also had Son of the Demon, which included Damien and the Secret Birth of Bruce's Child, also written by Mike Barr, as well as Birth of the Demon, which was uh, Ra's al Ghul's origin story. And both were fairly good books, all written by Mike Barr. So how will this one manage compared to the other two? Let's find out. Sorry for the theatrics, but I needed to get your attention. Got it. What's this all about? My father would like to meet you, privately. Your father? Rachel Ghoul. And if I refuse? Then I'll have to insist. The story begins when Batman learns that his old enemy, the mysterious Ra's al Ghul, has abducted a scientist who specializes in studying the Earth's ozone layer. 
Batman pursues Raz to a vast Arctic fortress where he discovers that Raz has devised a scheme to save the Earth's deteriorating atmosphere, but at a terrible cost. He meets Evelyn, the aged film star, to whom Raz has given the gift of a second youth in the hope of creating an heir to his empire with her. Bruce again faces Talia, Raz's daughter, the only woman Batman has ever truly loved, and the mother of Bruce's secret baby. Then, when Batman refuses Ra's offer of a partnership, again, he finds himself fighting for his life, both inside the fortress and in the merciless emptiness of the icy wastes outside. Ra's is eventually defeated and is inside the fortress when it explodes. Bruce, Talia and Evelyn escape, and Evelyn reveals that she is pregnant with Ra's al Ghul's child. Now, first off, I think this was quite comfortably the weakest of this demon trilogy. Um, it was a little dull in points due to the never-ending action, and I personally found the quieter moments much more interesting than the relentless action scenes that we had. The idea of having an heir for Ra's al Ghul was interesting, but I don't think it was ever followed up, if I'm correct. Mike Barr did throw some pretty big game-changing moments into his Demon trilogy, with the birth of Damien, and uh, this the origin of Ra's al Ghul, and now Ra's al Ghul's uh, apparent child. So I credit Mike Barr for being brave and tackling some big stories and putting some big moments into these this trilogy. And of course, the son of the Demon storyline about Damien was initially sort of discarded. Most writers weren't really recognising it as part of the Batman mythos, but Grant Morrison decided to pick it up and run with it, and now, of course, it is part of the Batman history. Um, Ra's al Ghul's Child, though, I think might be one of those stories that fell by the wayside. This story did show that uh, the detective side of the Dark Knight, something that quite a few Batman stories failed to do, so that was interesting to see Batman, how he puts things together. Uh, we get to see Raz as a bit of a tortured soul, which um, is what is usually best about him. It's when you start to get a bit confused about, is he really a villain? Isn't he just trying to fight for the greater cause? Because that's what it's, he seems to be doing. And you start getting a bit of sympathy for his cause. The only problem is that that, that disappears when you realise he wants to be the master of the Earth. But, uh, you know, Raz was a fairly interesting character in this one. I think Mike Barr understands the character pretty well. He's not a straightforward villain. He is. He has good motives. It's just the way he goes about them that um, doesn't quite work out. Batman has to oppose him for. And when, when we get Raz al Ghul and Talia, it's more of a dysfunctional family reunion than a straightforward Batman versus a villain. But this book doesn't feel as textured as the other two books. Not as much depth... Maybe a little bit rushed. Um, just the there's not much interesting going on here, other than lots of fights and escapes. The art is 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 a welcome uh, throwback to the '70s style, very classical, looks very interesting. Um, the art, as with most of this trilogy, is pretty good. Uh, we get to see Talia reunite with Bruce after the secret birth of Damon, which of course Bruce isn't aware of, and I thought that was a very interesting moment between the two of them. It's great to see those two back together. Those characters always um, are quite interesting, and it's nice with Barr's writing that we've obviously got something going on between them now with this secret child. And the climactic fight in the Batcave was very exciting. Uh, Tim decided to get in on the action, not as Robin yet. He still is yet to have made that step, but he does uh, 
improvise and, and do a good job. And even Alfred gets a bit of action as well. So that was quite exciting, the fight in the Batcave. But all in all, mediocre story, nothing special. Uh, it's not a not one that I would recommend everyone to go out and read, but uh, okay addition to the uh, Demon Collection. So possibly if you're following those stories, it might be worth reading. So I'll be giving it two and a half out of five Batarangs. Yes, I suppose I do owe you that much, Detective, since in many ways you are responsible for it. You see, I had hoped to achieve my vision of an earthly utopia gradually over time, with my heir carrying on my work after I was gone, but your refusal to become my heir has left me no other choice. Uh, so next time, we know that Tim's been in a bit of action lately in, in this book and in a couple of the ones previously, but he still hasn't been given the opportunity to become the official Robin. That's all about to change, though, as Bruce decides to give Tim the seal of approval and sends Tim off to be trained. So the third Robin is on his way. Or is he? Can Tim handle the tough training Bruce has set before him? Find out next time. Now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Familia, don't you have anything new? Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Uh, let's move into what we will be covering next time on the podcast. For the next podcast, as of right now, we will be covering Azrul number 18, Batman Beyond number 3, Batman Confidential number 54, Batman Streets of Gotham number 20, Batgirl number 19, Batman and Robin number 21, Batman Incorporated number 3, and Birds of Prey number 10. So there's <laughs> a lot more books than we had this episode, but uh, that's that's the way it works some reason every other episode we get a little bit of a break with so many books so with that being said i do want to talk about something that uh, joe's starting up on the website because we've talked about this number of times here on the comic cast uh all of the delays and the unexpected changes and solicitations and i started a post on the forums it's kind of taken off and there's been a lot of talk about the delays and the changes in the solicitations and Joe had an idea, and it is launching this week. So I want to give him a chance to talk about it and kind of give you guys an idea of what to expect from that blog post. Okay, yeah, it's called Back Book Delays, and it's basically I'm going to try and find out. Uh, I'm going to look at the solicitations every time they're updated and see if any books have been delayed or cancelled. And if they have, I'm going to try and find out why, because... I'm sick of DC just moving these books and we're having no explanation for it. So, and I know that um, from experience how annoying it is going all the way to your comic book shop and finding out that the issue you thought was coming out is being delayed. So I'm going to be doing that, posting it up on the website and that way everyone will, be, everyone will know. And I'm going to try and do that on the Tuesday so that you'll uh, be aware before you go out on Wednesday to buy your comics. And clearly there's been a lot of delays. Um, Batman Incorporated and Batman the Dark Knight are just two. We had the big issue with Batwoman, but more recently just we found out very recently that Batman Odyssey has actually also been, as of right now, all orders have been cancelled. Now essentially what that means is Batman Odyssey number 7 was solicited for, I believe, March or April. I don't remember off the top of my head. I can't even find out because the problem is that information about the book has completely disappeared. Essentially what has occurred is that the distributor has told comic shops to cancel all orders for Batman Odyssey 
And as of right now, it's not being resolicited, which means it's not coming out within the next three months of solicitations, even though once a book is already solicited, it can come out within that three-month time frame before the new solicitations come out, and it can still come out within that time frame. Because the order is being canceled, that means it's not coming out at all right now, and it's on hold, which could mean a number of different things. It could mean that the book is being held back for reasons because uh, Neil Adams needs some time to you know, catch up on some of the issues so they can make sure that a lot of the issues come out monthly like they're supposed to. Or it could mean that they're waiting to finish off the series at a later date because sales right now are bad because it's competing with so many other books. There's a number of different reasons. The important thing is, of right now, Batman Odyssey isn't even appearing on the DC website. Um, the previous issues, which Batman Odyssey number 6 came out in February, doesn't even appear in the February list of issues that came out. So who knows what's going on with this series. But that was really the one big one that we came to find out uh, this week. The series is so bad that DC have obliterated all memory of it. <laughs> As it deserves. Alright, so that is that. You can make sure you can check out Batbook Delays. We're going to try to make sure that's posted up uh, every Tuesday night for you guys. So that way, by the time you go to the comic shop on Wednesday, you're informed of what you will not be seeing in the comic shop. So with that, that's everything for this episode. Make sure you're checking out the Batman Universe podcast for all the news related to the movies, TV, merchandise, and video games. As well as general news, including Batman Live. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises is kicking off, and there's a ton of news coming out about that, so you can make sure you can check out that as well. You can obviously check out all the news for all of the areas of Batman um, on the website, thebatmanuniverse.net. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can join us on the forums to post comments about not only the podcast, but also all kinds of things related to Batman. And of course, you can also leave us a review on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. We have a bunch of new things in store for the website and for the podcast. A ton of new things. Um, we do have a new episode of the Batman Villain Wall, which if you have no idea what that is, you should check it out because it's very well received and we're going to keep doing those because a lot of people like them. So with that... That's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Don. This is Joe. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Tune in next time. Goodbye. Paul and Dustin first did hear hear of Hush and Detective. It's it's say heart of Hush. Yeah, I figured. At what point did that? Oh wait, that's your. Uh, yeah, that you, not you. Nah. Uh, oh yeah. I don't know what the heck's went happened there. So. uh...
It'll be the front part of 874, which is a full issue by Francesco. And he's also... Right, do it's Francesco. <laughs> My bad. Edit this out. This is me checking to see what I wrote down I was giving as before. All right, and over on the website, Dark Knight gave David... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Odyssey sucks and deserves to be retconned out of existence by the website. <laughs> Other than that... <laughs>